we have our first guest up here, and I am so happy, uh, Veronica, that we've finally got you here. Um, and you and I, uh, I think our first real working together and encounter was on the campaign a few yeah. couple years back. Which the, campaign, Kate? That would be the Chewy for Mayor campaign, which was uh, a hard fought and well fought on our end of the city campaign. We actually managed to win in this ward. Yeah. Um, and you are from the 50th ward, our yes. neighbors to the west. And you've been doing a lot of organizing on a lot of different fronts. Um, you're the director of the UIC Latinx, and you've got to tell me how to say that. We'll talk about that. <laughs> STEM office, in, and you are a community organizer, as I mentioned. Yes. Good Welcome. Morning. Good morning. It's been a while. And you got your cubby shirt on yeah, for all you cubbies. in radio land. <laughs> I do not have my socks shirt on because that would be just rude in the postseason. It's all right. I married a socks fan. It's a mixed marriage. We love that. <laughs> we love that. Those are like when, you know, when they do the Crosstown uh, games. What? Yes. I love those games because everyone, every play is cheered by yes. somebody. Yes. <laughs> and it's so sweet. Everything. Yeah. Yes. Well, tell us, tell us what's going on. Um, well, first of all, with the UIC program, what is, yeah. what is that? And tell me the right way to uh, use language these okay. days. Okay, so UIC is a Hispanic-serving uh, institution, meaning that our undergraduates are at least 25. Now we're closer to 30% who students who identify as Latino, Hispanic, Latinx. So, Latinx, okay. Right. So That's better than Latinx, which was <laughs> what I was doing. I've heard it said both ways. Okay. So, um, Latin with the X at the end is being used as a um, all-inclusive term. So is that so like gender-free? Like gender-free. Instead of O or A. Right. Exactly. Correct. <laughs> Long live <laughs> so, the X's. So um, I've also now seen uh, the Filipino community using that as well. Instead of O and A at the end for Filipino, it's a Philippine X. So I'm since, not sure how it says. Since we started here, what about the native... Spanish, or for that mother, uh -huh. uh, matter, other Romance languages that have gender right in the way the words are used. Uh -huh. So I, I have seen a lot of throwdowns on the internet about what are we going to use. Like if we're going to use the, the X at the end of Latin for a, inclusiveness, are we going to start throwing the X on the end of every word? I'm not sure. I'm not a linguist. I kind of feel like I follow mm -hmm. what the community tells us, mm -hmm. what the um, LGBTQ community tells us um, suggest as language, um, so I'm taking my lead from them. Well, we'll we'll do the same. And being of a, an a older generation, we we need generally our. We may our, stumble and fall a little on it, but sure. we'll get better. If you've listened yeah. to this show, you know that uh, our intern Morgan, who is at UIC, okay. um, teaches us regularly. regularly. She instructs us on. On these things. That's the great thing about working at a university. I feel like I get these things pretty early. Uh, the students inform me. Our Gender and Sexuality Center is amazing at yeah, educating legendary, us. Legendary, actually. Yes. So let's talk about what you do there. Yeah, so UIC is a Hispanic serving institution, and last October, um, we just celebrated our first year of having this grant uh, through the U.S. Department of Education. We have a, um, to serve our Latinx science, technology, engineering, and math students. So that's what uh, I've been doing the last year, is ho hoping to start up this office. Um, and we are going to be working on making sure that UIC is the best campus, at least in the Midwest, if not the country. Let's see, you know, put some high 
uh, benchmarks for myself, and to serve science, engineering, technology, engineering, math students. So through different things like transition coaches, we have two staff members who are working with high schoolers and city college students mm -hmm. um, on that transition from where they are to UIC to make that as smooth as possible. Mm -hmm. um, we also are in, have peer leaders. This year we have 30 pairs. Those are 30 students who have volunteered their time to help uh, incoming. incoming students. To, make get, to get themselves oriented. up. You know, some of the hardest parts of that college transition is uh -huh. just finding your space, sure. your social space. Sure. So we are saying, here's a, scary. here's a student who knows their, um, who is good in their classroom and is engaged in the community, and they want to make sure you're engaged as well. Sweet. And uh, we also have a paid leadership, we have a paid research ex experience. Um, and we're also working on conversations to decolonize science and scientific knowledge. Wow. I'm reading That's a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading a book right now called the. Oh God, it's a science. <laughs> Never mind. I can't remember the. Yeah, title. well, let's just move right along yeah, here. Right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was uh, Veronica Ariola, it's so, always great yeah. to have you on the show. But you are a political person, political animal, political being. Yes. Uh, what's your take on what's going on in politics, uh, particularly the on city. the north side, or you know, let's do the city? What's uh, your what's going on? There's a lot of conversation. There's a lot of conversations happening, and so it's an exciting time to be a, uh, a community organizer. And uh, you know, some of the, one of the things I we wanted to talk about today is happening out of those conversations. So. Um, over this uh, earlier this year, what, are these uh, are direct conversations between people or throwdowns on on the <laughs> no, internet? No, I think that they're <laughs> real conversations are, okay. among people. Um, so earlier this year, through a response of some increase in car thefts and property thefts um, in the 50th ward, um, some neighbors were concerned about this and worked with our aldermen to start a community watch, a neighborhood watch. Um, and even uh, had the alderman donate money to purchase jackets so that people could walk around, literally walk around the neighborhood in these um, yellow, orange coats, kind of like rain jackets, um, so to alert people who shouldn't be in the neighborhood that we're watching you. Um, and so this is bordering on the spooky. <laughs> this Halloween season. And some of us felt the same way. We felt uncomfortable with the idea of our neighbors, of other neighbors walking around surveilling, um, especially since um, really we're living in a time where you know black lives matter. Um, black and brown, especially young men, um, don't have as much freedom to walk around neighborhoods. They're walking home and they're being surveilled. They're walking to their workplaces and they're being stopped by police, neighbors, saying, what are you doing here? Um, and so some of us had some conversations, including uh, Sarah Manwith, who's been organizing in the 50th, and Ahmed Khan, who we know organizes a lot in the 50th and around the city, mm -hmm. um, about what we could do to create community, create a sense of safety, but not surveil. Um, and How's that, that going? Uh, we think it's going all right. What, <laughs> so what, what have you learned from, that's a huge and important uh, distinction that you're making and that a lot of us have worked with when we when we go to CAPS meetings, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. It's, it's, it is the central question, It is actually. the central question. So Sarah, so we started talking about positive loitering, um, but we also know that positive loitering has been co-opted in uh, a lot of different spaces and has brought in police, and we don't want to bring in police, not because we are anti-police, but we know that 
for some communities, the police are not seen as safe. Yeah. So if we're going to create a safe and supportive community, we wanted to do that without police uh, presence. Um, so we ditched the positive loitering. Uh -huh. And that's when Sarah thought of, uh, had this idea of Sundays on the sidewalk, just getting a lawn chair and a drink and just sitting outside and saying hi to the people who walk past your house and just talk to them and maybe engage them in a conversation or just how's your day going? Um, and when you do that, when I've, I've done, we've done that a couple of times, when I've done that, people will stop and like, what are you doing out here? <laughs> um, it helps that we also have this little library in front of our house, so people might stop and look at a book too. Um, but I tell them I'm out here because I wanna create a stronger community, I wanna know my neighbors better. I'm really guilty of going to work, coming home, being locked in my sure. apartment, all those sorts of things. Um, but when I talk to them about, let's create a supportive community without having to have a neighborhood watch, they're like, yeah, it just takes a few minutes to get people to go from that logic of, we shouldn't, just because I don't know who you are, Katie, doesn't mean I Bingo. should call the police and say, hey, there's this strange lady outside of my house. And let's um, face facts. Yeah. I would not be, uh, you would not call the police on me. Right. Most of the people in the neighborhood would not. We know who the people the, would call right. the, exactly. the police on, and you described it, young mm -hmm. black men uh, on Latino their way home. Latino men, too. And Latino men, and... Well, I and wanted any to other, any perceived other, right? Yes. So, okay, go ahead. On the, you would, you know, we're talking about the 50th ward. For the people who don't know the 50th ward, it's a pretty diverse ward. Yes. I mean, is. just give us a little description on that. Uh, well, we're really diverse ward, but I would also add that we're fairly segregated as well. Uh -huh. um, so we we are pretty. We're actually one of the wards that's most like a square. So we have these quadrants, and I live on the north, uh, the southeast quadrant, where we have a lot of immigrants. We have a lot of um, Middle Eastern, Latino, Latinx people who are living there. Um, a lot of apartments and condos. Our northwest corner are more the bungalow area. Um, we have some uh, uh, Orthodox Jews. And then in the other corners, it feels like that kind of that merging. That's where the blending kind of happens in the other corners. So we still have some bungalows, but we also have a lot of apartment buildings. And so we have people from many different, a lot of different places. We kind of call ourselves like the, the UN of the city. A rainbow deal. Yes, we do. Let me ask you, you had um, mentioned that you're working on this uh, project of talking to people on the street mm -hmm. with your alder person, which I think is Silverman, is that her Silverstein. name? Silverstein. Silverstein. So and uh, she is not known as a real progressive. And right. I know that you have, in your outfit, have a number of people who would definitely say you were progressive types <laughs> to the max. And uh, I just wondered how that relationship is and where you see that going, because there will be an aldermanic election coming up, and you, same people might be with her or with an opposition candidate. <laughs> Correct. Um, so she does know that some of this stuff is happening. I haven't had a chance to sit down and talk to her about how she's feeling about this. Um, because honestly, for me, this action is a direct response to um, creating a system that is encouraging neighbors to surveil and call police on each oh, other. Oh, nice. Um, you know, not everybody who participates may um, take that same strong stand, but for me, it definitely is. Um, I've even been giving out signs to my neighbors that say we, I know, I talk to my neighbors, I don't call, I, I don't surveil them. Mm -hmm. um, That's nice. So, That's a good, good rap. Um, yeah, there is an aldermanic election coming up soon. Um, you know, our ward has never really had a really good 
um, election um, since the Nazi Dolar day yeah. um, when I worked on that campaign. And we came what close. does that mean? A really we, good election. We haven't had a well, really we good one. Well, we haven't, well, I don't, <laughs> we, haven't had, we haven't had a lot of good choices, choices. or a good mm-hmm. campaign. So I know Ahmed Khan ran one year, right. but it, you know, wasn't, I didn't know him then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, that, you know, it's about getting not only a strong candidate, but having a strong campaign, yeah. as we all know. Yeah, yeah. We've all worked on campaigns before. Well, and hopefully we will again. Um, one of the things that happens uh, to me every time I look around at, at the campaign structure in Chicago, it's I'm always reminded Harold Washington introduced us all to one another in his campaign. And a lot of us from way all that time mm-hmm. back continue to know each other and recognize each other in moments like this when I've got 50th Ward activism uh, burgeoning and there's a couple faces there that, uh-huh. that date back to then. Um, what is, uh, w- last question, and then we gotta go to uh, Alondra. Um, how do you see feminism uh, being reshaped? Do, did you take part in the Women's March? I did, way? I did participate. Wasn't that something? It was amazing. It was amazing. It it was. I think so everybody good. at this table was there. Yeah. yeah, everybody here. How about out there? Just call us exes. All right, all right, <laughs> we had quite a few. Um, what do you think, where are we going with uh, the women's-led part of the movement? Um, Particularly um, with uh, Trump's BS. actions. Well, you know, if we wouldn't be in this mess if the powers that be at the Democratic National Committee had listened to black and brown women over the last forever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because we're the ones who have been leading these conversations, these tough conversations. We're leading Black Lives Matter. We're leading these conversations that are, as we like to say, is intersectional. Mm-hmm. Taking all of the parts of our lives and talking about why um, the fact that you know, our young men can't walk on the street without being interrupted, mm-hmm. um, as well as our economic rights, our reproductive rights, all of these sorts of things are in the same conversation. And there will be no, the litmus test is making sure that those are all in the same conversation. That's an excellent answer, um, really. Uh, women of color leading is, is, has been going on my entire life. Women of color I know leading. Katie said that was the last question, but uh, is there but anything <laughs> that you, uh, See, this happens really too. want to talk about. I'm looking at the clock, Kate. Um, <laughs> and uh, is there anything you would like to talk about or share with us that we haven't asked you about yet? Uh, oh, wow. There's a whole long list. Yeah. But I think we've, Just we've, one. we've covered all of this really well. I mean, you know, the, I've been active in our, doing some of this community organizing. My husband's been organizing in the, in the, in the ward. He's been leading the... Um, organization to get us a new library. So I really feel like this is a really exciting moment. Um, it's a very scary moment, um, but I, f- I feel less scared when I'm out in the neighborhood. I'm organizing with people, which is why I threw down with uh, Reclaim Chicago. That's why you know, I'm doing this stuff on the, na- on the sidewalk. It's, I, when I get scared in these moments, I have to be out talking to people and connecting with people, not Great. sitting on my couch eating gelato, although I still do that. Uh, here's to sitting on couches eating gelato. <laughs> May we all have those moments as well as moments of uh, real victory with Veronica, our we have you on for a longer organizing. segment next time when we want to totally. continue keeping up. Are you going to run for alderman? <laughs> I don't think so. No. I don't know. Well, you know, hey, let's You're going to leave it to Ahmed Khan? <laughs> I don't know if he's going to run either. No. All right. Enough of that. We'll we'll get a scoop next time. I know Tom is always up for the scoops and and Michael too, but 
Yeah, I'm we're all glad to see you. It's good to see you. I'm glad to have you here. Thank right. you, Veronica Arola. Thank you. And we'll go right into our next guest. You are listening to Live from the Heartland um, on 88.7 FM, WLUW.org. Uh, you can hear us live stream anywhere in the world. Um, and we appreciate all your input. Please feel free to communicate with us. And as Michael always wants to remind us, you can also see our archive programs on YouTube at mm. Heartland Media. It's youtube.com slash heartlandmedia. And some of them are now up on our website, which is livefromtheheartland.com. And Morgan is filming this as we speak. Good morning, Morgan. She made it. This girl travels the furthest. I walked 70 steps. Um, okay. Alondra Montez, welcome to Live from the Heartland. Thank you for having me here. Uh, um, yes. Oh, I was just going to say um, thank you so much. Just uh, It's so good to be at the WLUW, um, my alma mater. Yeah. When did you uh, graduate from Loyola? Uh, 2006. Oh, youngster. <laughs> um, I, I actually did my master's at Loyola in 2006, so okay. there you go. We were so anxious to have you in the show, we uh, played the music promo for your segment. At the beginning of the show, we had a little Tracy Chapman to lead things off, a mm -hmm. wonderful a cappella version at a concert of Behind the Wall and, um, from 1988. And so for you listeners who wonder why we started without Jimi Hendrix or Keb Moore or something like that, that was the reason. Oh, thank we you. had a little Tracy Chapman there at the beginning. Tell us about your center and what it's trying to do now that we are starting Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Yes, thank you. Uh, so October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month and the Center for Advancing Domestic Peace um, has been around since 1997. Um, started off as the West Side, uh, sorry, um, the West Side Domestic Abuse. Right. Um, and now is that. the Center for Advancing Domestic Peace. And what we do is we are the sole nonprofit dedicated to working with perpetrators of domestic violence. So it's a little bit different. Uh, we do provide uh, the partner abuse intervention program. We also do case management. So we do work with our participants um, to you know, overcome some of the barriers that may be stopping them from completing a program and, and reducing that violence. Uh, we do provide aftercare for men and women. Um, and we also work with uh, law enforcement professionals, domestic violence professionals, and do some community um, training and some community outreach. Um, we do work with men, women, same-sex partners. Mm -hmm. uh, we do have Spanish groups as well. Um, and you'll find us in the Inglewood community, in the Tri-Taylor community, and also Chicago Lawn community. So um, the article I was referring to earlier that dealt with violence in the U.S. Uh, listed the categories of people mm -hmm. who die of gun deaths. And um, women from their partners yes. um, was the second under... Uh, under teenage young men of color across mm -hmm. this country as the highest uh, after the suicides. Uh, suicide is the greatest gun death than mm -hmm. young men. And then women uh, killed by their uh, intimate partners. Um, how, how do you feel like, I know there's more awareness than ever publicly. Yes. Um, how are we doing in, in so far as uh, getting better at training potential partners from, you know, Going to that, going to that extreme. Okay, uh, so a couple of things you mentioned. So it is the 30th anniversary of domestic violence awareness. Wow. So we are getting better. Uh, there's still a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so, 
right now one of the biggest projects that is helping us and create more awareness is our neighborhood barbers for peace and we're doing that through this safe and peaceful community uh, fund and um, and that is really working with our community barbers and teaching them what is domestic violence just the basics um, and to look out when they talk to the people in their community who they who trust them who come maybe every week or every mm -hmm. other week um, what are the signs what are the resources out there and you know spreading awareness that way um, we're also trying to do a public awareness campaign and we have posters and radio spots but really when we talk to people men and women uh, really talking about some healthy s communication skills and um, how to really you know work on those beliefs those societal beliefs right. those um, the male privilege um, the gender inequalities I mean everything kind of that Veronica touched on too right before me um, we are working with that we have to work in the home to be able to then um, make some impact in the community as well so uh, how do you deal with the cultural um, uh, tendencies that we're, we're we get more awareness of as we grow as a nation but mm -hmm. we do have communities or ethnicities or mm -hmm. national breakdown of um, men who are you know used to the you walk 10 steps behind me thing mm -hmm. and and so on um, yeah. you know what I'm saying it, no, so I how tricky is it or uh, how have you addressed the fact that we've got different communities that have different mores and and mm -hmm. customs and that have to be taught really it's not okay yes. to subjugate to hurt to physically abuse well your partner i mean yes there is a lot of cultural even religious um, but a, domestic yeah. violence does affect everyone across every community every race and it's not just men you know there are some women who have perpetrated as well but really, the, the way that the center um, works is we are very strength-focused and trauma-informed. So we work with the participants as a human being as well and give them the services that they need. We don't treat it as a consequence. Yes, they may be referred through the court systems or child welfare agencies, but we treat them like another human being. Like, these are some beliefs you maybe have were taught, some skills you uh, may be using wrong or, or may need to learn. This is how we can help you. And really, the person has to want to change for right. it to really work. Right. But we are working with them just as people, just like a domestic violence victim service agency would work with people. But we are starting at, you know, where domestic violence starts with the perpetrator. Sounds like you're the right person I'm, for I'm that job. I'm curious to know why other really? organizations that uh, con are concerned with domestic violence have not um, addressed the uh, abusers yet. Well, um, that's what they're I mean, you've already talked about a little bit, but. Uh -huh. um, you know, because, you know, the sort of stereotype is, uh, in my mind, is that someone gets beat up by their partner and then doesn't press charges. You know, like in a lot of the detective shows, you know, I'm not going to press charges. Mm -hmm. And um, so you've decided that you're going to really talk to both sides of the argument. A little, yeah. So there's a lot that you said there. Well, usually so. <laughs> I, I yeah, try to run a lot of so stuff it's together. It's a little bit loaded. Uh, One Michael. that he gets his information from detective shows. <laughs> so let me dissect that a little bit. Um, you know, one, there, there are many reasons as to why a victim may not press charges. Um, you know, there's fear, there's, there's money, you know, uh, there's children that they're concerned, and there's love most of the time, yeah. at least on her side or the victim's side. Um, so, you know, really in the domestic violence field, we want to empower victims and survivors to make their own choice when they're ready. We just want to provide the resources. 
Um, and also, you know, there are other agencies working with perpetrators, but we're the only ones dedicated to working with them. You know, they may have victim services and other services, but we really are focusing at, you know, the source. Um, and does that work tell you that we should be teaching kids at an early age about, oh, yeah. about this stuff? <laughs> Most definitely. Yeah. I think, um, because like I said, a lot of it is, is the beliefs when they're growing up right. um, of what the men's role and women's role should look like. Um, a lot of it is the communication skills. Um, you know, uh, over 80% of our, our participants have children. And at least one of them, because I've done the direct service, both victim services and partner abuse intervention services. And one of the clients, you know, almost as he was ending his 24 weeks, was like that this program has changed his life, that the communication with his partner has been so great, but what shocked him the most was with his children. His ah, children were not afraid this gives me from the him. You know, when this he came home from work, they actually wanted to talk to him, and that's just because he changed the way he communicated with them through what he learned at the program. This is really good I'm work. intrigued with this grassroots approach that doesn't go through a church or another social service agency, but barbers. And my first question was, how many barbers are left? But I'm realizing in the communities you're focused yes. on, there may be, in fact, a lot of barbers still left. And yes. that is a critical kind of social hall. Yes. So you've done the outreach to the barber. What, what, how is it working? How, you know, how many people are deciding they want to sign up for a 24-week course? Uh, well, I'm not right. sure we've, you know, direct um, referrals from the barbers. Really, we're trying to make sure people are aware of what domestic violence really is. It's not just physical abuse. It's power and control. It's verbal abuse. It's economic abuse. And so those are things that are barely coming to light now um, into awareness. And so we're really empowering them to have these resources. And um, they're talking to the children. You know, a lot of the people who go in for a haircut bring their children to the barbershop. Right. So the, the children are listening. And even though this is just an initiative, a project we just started, the thing is these barbers are really interested in, in continuing this. Is, this also mirrors the, uh, the work of domestic violence workers um, to do the same thing with uh, salon uh, workers, yes. right? Yes, that is correct. Who, who are mm -hmm. often a very emotional contact point for a lot of women, mm -hmm. specifically I'm talking now. Um, and, and There are ex-salons these days too that do men and women. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Michael. <laughs> well, it's like the... Uh, the uh, Never mind, that was <laughs> enough. One in Rogers Park. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that, that's, uh, so it does mirror that, that effort uh, only with barbers. Yes, I mean, one of our things is, is we really want to get into the community um, to be able to have, you know, domestic violence um, get to the source and not just the, the community violence, but I mean, they go hand in hand, yeah. the, you know, the homes and the community. And so the, the thing with the barbers is they've been there, most of them are from Englewood or, you know, the south side, they've been there for years. So they know their community. Right. Um, and they are also probably the, the people that the, the customers trust with their problems right. or with the issues. And so to be able to empower them and then give them the resources to you know, know the correct um, ways to help someone who's mm -hmm. either being a victim or who's possibly perpetrating, mm -hmm. I think that's powerful. That's, that's the start we want. So it, it mirrors that, but it, there's a little bit more to it. There's more education going on. So part of your 
education work is um, a new marketing campaign that you've launched using mm -hmm. Columbia College students. Yes. And we actually want to play a little public service oh, announcement they prepared for you. Thank you. So Nolan, if you could take it away to play this little clip. We're going to try and uh, play it for the Can you hear that? Here. It's your bathtub. And we're the water is pouring the over the side. Do you empty the tub or turn off the faucet? Emptying the tub solves the immediate problem, but won't stop the tub from refilling. Turning off the faucet takes away the source of the water. When it comes to domestic violence, escaping the person who used to abuse is urgently important. It's the first step, but we also need to stop the person who abused before he or she becomes abusive again. The Center for Advancing Domestic Peace offers a program of classes to help men and women with histories of abusive behavior learn how to end their abuse and enjoy healthy relationships. Participants learn how to communicate respectfully and negotiate conflict safely with their partners and others. After all, stopping the water at the source lets you focus on fixing the issue. We'll help you turn off the faucet. To find out more, visit www.advancingdomesticpeace.org or call 312-265-0206 for more information. Safe homes make safe communities. Let's you focus on fixing the issue. Wow, that's pretty strong stuff. Where are you playing this? Um, well, I think whoever is open to playing it, uh, I don't know if, oh, sorry. No, I'm uh, sorry, the delay keeps going. Do we have it on WLUW? We could certainly have that, yes, of course, we'd love that. And you know, through these radio spots, we have had actually one, um, oh, <laughs> one uh, gentleman actually call our office and self-refer himself and enroll in the class. So we do have some volunteers that come in and, and want to improve their communication skills and their relationships. So it is powerful. I want to reinforce part of the challenge you're up against, even after 30 years of growing public awareness. Uh, have you been following the Harvey Weinstein 